You're listening to Welcome to Eloma, a podcast for highly ambitious dreamers who get shit done. I'm your host, Kylie Peters. This is a space where we talk about managing family business dynamics. Now, while I personally don't have experience working in a family-owned business, I have had plenty of clients who are knee-deep in family businesses, and it is a whole different ballpark. Family businesses come with lots of complex relationships, many different layers. So it's really important that we tap into the expertise of third parties to navigate them accordingly. And we're going to just touch on the tip of the iceberg in today's conversation uh, with Amy Wirtz. Amy is a senior consultant with the Family Business Consulting Group, and she is passionate about helping families define their goals around their values, ownership, and financial wealth. I'm so excited to welcome her to the show. Welcome to Eloma, Amy. Thank you for having me, Kylie. I really appreciate you inviting me to your audience and talking about this very important subject. I love how you said it's a totally different ball field. It really is. It's like baseball with seven extra rules. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, And many that people don't even know exist until they're like really in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great comparison. Absolutely. So, all right, Amy, you've, you've been doing this work for a minute. What are some of the greatest challenges you run into when working with family owned businesses on a daily basis, maybe it may inc- it may include when they're planning for exit or transition, et cetera. But what are some of the biggest challenges you run into? I think the biggest challenge that family owners have that are running a family business, and a family business is defined when more than two family members are owning or running a business. So it's got a family layer. It's an extra layer of system in what they manage. The biggest thing is for those individuals that are working together daily to remember where and why they're having a conversation. So we teach Mm. a family business owner is managing their family, managing the business with other people typically, and then managing their ownership group. And the first thing that people typically trip over is let's say you're working with your brother and your brother comes in and he starts yelling at you. And you react as a sibling and yelling, like I'm using yelling loosely, like talking firmly or being in a situation that's tense. And what comes up for the person that's on the receiver is, gosh, dang it, there goes my brother again, thinking of me as a kid and not responsible. And, you know, it's all that family stuff that explodes and they respond Mm -hmm. as a family member and they talk to each other in a way that they would never talk to anybody else that they work with ever. Yeah. derogatory things or they're sarcastic or they ignore him, right? Like totally like whatever, you're stupid and they never really deal with it. So the first thing we teach is, okay, so when you're at work, you have to treat each other like employees or owners, like foreign Mm. owners. You bring your best church manners into the workplace or synagogue manners or temple manners, right? Mm -hmm. Like you do not go low and hard at work. Like we hope we don't do that in the family system either, but you know that you have to remember that when you're in a family system, people tend to treat each other with, um, act in a way and communicate in a way where they know those relationships will exist typically no matter what they do. There's 
unconditional love, right? Mm-hmm. And that works in a family. It does not work in a business. Yeah, it's tough. Right. And so that's the first thing we talk about. The next thing we talk about is um, hiring and paying for qualifications instead of relationships. So we talk about our owners running a family first business. And if you're a family member, you have a job, whether you show up and you're qualified or not, and you make all your decisions based on family relationships, or are you a business first business, which is you only look at the business from a business standpoint, you make all decisions as if your family were strangers, right? Mm -hmm. And what we find is both extremes can be very detrimental to the business health and the family health, right? So we that you really need to look at it from both perspectives and you, you know, you need to think about why am I owning a family business if I'm not supporting the family, but also what do the family members need to have for skills in order to be part of the business? And if you have gates and you have rules and you have organizational constructs, Mm-hmm. that both can remain healthy. healthy. Sure. It's really hard to attract and retain non-family talent if you treat your family members with a totally different standard. Sure. Right? That and makes so sense. you make your business weaker. Also, if all you think about and all you talk about is business, who wants to be there in the family? Right? And if you don't work in the business, family is really boring. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. all good points. <laughs> yeah. So those are like the first two things I see people tripping over. The next thing I see people tripping over is that the business has gotten bigger than their skill levels. Mm. It's outgrown the family talent. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to make decisions about retention of that asset or talent inside the asset to manage the complexity of the business they've grown. And they really loved being entrepreneurs or even like a fast growing second generation. But that next generation of formality and system growth and a lot of business skills scares the bejesus out of them and they freeze. A lot of what typically happens at that point? You know, usually if they don't do anything, the business plateaus and starts to go down in value. Got it. Okay. Right. The, the the decision point, that influx of decisions is very stressful for ownership and, and family, typically. Yeah. And so that's where we teach it's invaluable to have a good team surrounding you, both in advisory systems and in leadership systems, mm-hmm. and to really consider governance at that point. So okay. to look at how a board of advisors or a board of directors can assist your team and bring knowledge into it to assist it as it continues to grow. Mm-hmm. It's also an inflection point where many families sell. Ah, so they're just they like, you know what, this is it and family matters most and we're out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, okay, it's like sell like in this the sibling generation to cousin generation transition is one of the most painful points for a family sibling transition to cousin transition tell us a little bit about that so and i'm not talking about generation of ownership i'm talking about the number of people owning 
Okay. So ah, we, okay. You know, we all know that the more cooks in the kitchen, the more complicated the recipe gets and most likely sure. it's going to taste good at the end of the day. Okay. <laughs> so that is similar in ownership systems that are not supported and educated. So if we have a group of siblings, those siblings have tend to have grown up in the same household, same parents, usually same school system, same morals, and they have a lot of stories and experiences that bond them and create trust. Mm -hmm. A lot of, right? And and we all know siblings are different, but the environment typically is the change. Now that's not always true, but I'd say about 85% of the time it's true, right? Okay. When you go to cousins, the nuclear family for those cousins is different. Yep. Their, their religions may be different. Where they grew up may be different. The schools they went to are different. Their relationship to money is different. And typically when you get into a cousin generation, not all of them work there. And so you have a difference of opinion of why we own and what's it supposed to do for us, right? Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen with a lot of different of opinions and a lot of different needs. Yeah. So the question is, how do we educate them for why they own, how they own, how they get out if they don't want to own, and if they want out, how does it, how is it done to keep the business healthy, and how do they remain part of the family if they no longer own? So do you have to be yeah. an part of the family? So that's where it gets super complex. And yeah. the most common subjects we talk about and interface with. How on average, and I'm sure the answer is it depends, but um, I just ran in, uh, I met somebody recently and they are running a family-owned business and there are a hundred owners in this family-owned business. Is that typical or what do you typically see? Our organization has many families that have very large shareholder groups. Um, I would say that's probably the maybe 15 to 20% of family-owned companies. When you get into those large shareholder companies, it takes a lot of work to run the ownership system. system. They only survive if they are constant learners and they put the effort in to being good owners. Yeah. Which means they're educated. They know about the company, even if they don't work there. They know why they own, they meet on a regular basis, and they let people out that want to go. So for anybody listening, um, and again, it sounds like there's different ways people can go about this, but if you're setting up a business and you're like, this is going to be a family-run business, to your point that like uh, business run versus or business first versus family first and, and finding that balance, how how do you recommend people go about deciding? who is part of the business and whether or not they work in it or not. How, how, does, how do you navigate those conversations? We teach that it takes uh, attention and time and that if you want your, your next generation to work in or lead your business, mm-hmm. you have to start that when they're teenagers. Like late That's 80s. a lot of pressure for kids. Well, no, but it's not mandatory. It's an option. Okay. Okay. So give them an education track of, hey, 
this is what our business is about. And you have them do a week visitation at the business and you don't lead them around. You give them to other people. You show them the floor. You know, in many family businesses, the kids work there in the summer and there's some exposure. Yeah. It's usually grunt work. So this Mm program is different. It's an education program and allows the next generation to see it from a business instead of a job. I have one particular family that I work that I have worked with in the Ohio area and the, the CEO doesn't have kids of his own, but is passionate about this business going to the third generation. And there are 11 cousins ranging from 23 to like six. (laughs) So he created an, an education program and the family created a policy that they have a summer camp at the business to, and, and it's a week long where they go stay with uncle Jerry and they have to do that between like, like 13 and 16. And they just go to work with uncle Jerry and they get to meet everybody and they learn about grandpa's business, right? Like how they started just the history. What that does is it creates a connection to the business. There's no mandates. It's about the family mm-hmm. and about the history of the family and being with uncle Jerry, right? <laughs> Having a little fun. Yeah. And it's, First introduction. Then they offer a internship program that's been very designed about, hey, we do X for a living, but inside this very large business, you could be a lawyer, you could be an accountant, mm-hmm. you could be in charge of HR, you could design systems. I mean, you there's all kinds of, you don't have to just do care of people, which is what their business is. You could do other things. You could work on the business, right? Sure. And then they have both a family council and they have a board of directors. And so they defined the path for the next generation to serve on the family council. And they defined a path for them to serve on the board. And it's an it's called an education matrix, right? Okay. So what does this next generation need to know to be owners? Because they know not all of these people are going to work there. Yeah. So if two of them work there and the rest of them own, what do they need to know? What do they need to manage? How do they hire people? How do they work with consultants? How do they work with a board? How do they be good governors of the ownership? It's very intentional. And by the way, this is not a huge family group, but that's what successful companies do. Owners think ahead. Yeah. They, how can we make this sustainable? Yeah. And they And they have an employment policy in that family that said, you know, this is what our rules are. If you apply for a job at XYZ company, you have to meet all the requirements of that job. We're not giving you a job. You have to meet the requirements of a job opening. And then they aren't interviewing family members. Non-family members are. Non-family members are ranking them. Good. Okay. they are, you know, if if there are equal candidates that are family and non-family and they both have the same skills, they'll hire family first. But they have to meet the skills threshold first. Yeah. And then in that policy, every every family member is educated on that employment policy. Mm-hmm. And then they also have a policy for firing family members. Because you may have to. Oh, yeah. I'm, I know yeah. firing people uh, just generally sucks, but firing families got to suck a whole lot more. It, it sucks a heck of a lot more. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what that takes is 
a balance, right? So that balance was, we want to have educated next generation people. Mm -hmm. And so they they were willing to pay for, um, in that family, they were willing to contribute to a junior college or four-year college education. They put that on the table, right? Nice. And, and that's because they really believe in educating the next generation. For some families, that's not possible. But for some families, they might say, we will pay for one year of college or give you $2,000 a year towards college. And, you know, whatever that is, sure. they have a conversation around it. Yeah. So is that helpful? Yeah. No, this is fascinating. Um, okay. So quick question for people who work in the business versus own the business. Mm-hmm. Are there specific um, rules and regulations, expectations in terms of like, I would imagine if somebody's working in the business, they would have greater stake in the business or do they look at those as two separate roles? Like this is your job as the CEO or head of HR. And then this is also the percentage of the business that you own. How is, how's that typically broken down? Separate roles. Sorry, say that again. We teach that there are two separate roles. Okay. So owner and the role that you have in the business. Yeah. That's smart. It's really complicated for the people that have like three or four hats. They're the, they're the CFO. They're an owner. They sit on the board and they sit on the family council and they're a dad. I mean, or a mom. And by the way, the son of the original owner or the daughter of the original owner, I I, I visually put hats on their heads. I put different hats on their heads and then we Is what role are you making this conver- this decision? In? Where are you having this conversation? And we label it so yeah, that's good that they get used to thinking about. I need to not just think as a son, right? I need to think as the CFO, or I need to think as a board member. Now, add a trustee hat to that, right? <laughs> so they put, you know, mom and dad have put ownership in a trust for their shares. So there's a trust that owns 57% of the shares, right? And then the kids have the rest divided between them and their three kids, Mm -hmm. right? But one of the kids is the trustee for mom and dad's trust, Mm. right? So Mm. think about that. So now they have five hats. That's a lot. It's a, it gets very complicated. The Accelerator is exactly what you've been looking for. If you're either an executive woman ready to leave corporate and start your own thing, but don't know where or how to get started, or you're an existing woman small business owner and you're ready to level up your business, we've built a -a one-of-a-kind six-month training program with over a dozen industry experts that took me nearly a decade to assemble. And I am delivering this to you on a platter. I have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars and months of wasted time and energy over the last decade by not having these resources available to me. And I want to change the way women are running their businesses so they can make more money faster with less anxiety and fewer unreliable partners, which is why we've built the Accelerator. It's time to level up and make sure you're leveraging your business to support the life you want to be living personally, professionally, and financially. Learn more at rixrixaccelerator.com. I would imagine um, there's also a lot of emotional education around managing all of those different relationships. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of 
I am not a therapist. If I think a therapist <laughs> needs to be provided, I will volunteer to find one and help them connect to one. Yeah. But I help people name emotions yeah. and find ways to separate the emotion from the issue so a solution can be developed. Yeah, it, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I feel like a lot of times when when situations get heightened, it's because emotions have gotten out of control or unchecked or have not been have not been named. identified, right? They haven't been named, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. This is great. I'm taking a lot of notes over here, Amy. This is awesome. Um, so for anybody listening who might be in a family-owned business right now, maybe nodding their head like, yup, 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 everything Amy's saying, I know what she's talking about. What advice uh, would you have to give to anybody? Like, I, I know we talked about like, we've inserted a few things, but generally speaking, any like low-hanging fruit opportunities that that you're like, family-owned businesses need to know these three things or whatever it is. Okay. So here, here are two tips, two tips. Got it. Two tips. Two tips. One, separate your ownership decision meetings from your operation meetings. Okay. Can you elaborate a little on yes. that? So when I enter into systems and they have never hired anybody like me before, we, I hear mostly, we need to communicate. We need to communicate. We don't talk. We don't do this. We don't, I'm honest, like 90% of the time. So I ask them about, well, how do you talk, right? Like, when do you have conversations? And it's typically, they're so busy working in the business that yeah. they don't set aside time to work on the business. So they're making decisions as they pass each other in the hallway. And I call it the run and drop game. <laughs> That's a very good name for a very appropriate verbal visual. <laughs> so I'm passing my brother in the hallway and I know he's not really going to like a decision I made, but okay. Um, hey, Johnny, I just want to let you know, I bought that 50 acres of land along the, the railroad tracks and I walk away. <laughs> I know Johnny didn't want that damn 50 acres of land next to the railroad tracks because it is going to be a pain in the butt and there's lots of regulations. I want it because it gets me to another field. Okay. But keeping it up, dealing with the railroad and and there's easements and all kinds of crap. And Johnny's like, you did what? Yeah. Right. And that's called a drop and run. Okay. (laughs) Happens all the time in family business. Right. Um, So separate your meetings that you have with your employees from ownership decisions and make the time to have them. Even if you only do it every three months or every four months, have an hour set aside to talk about ownership stuff, mm-hmm. right? And then do your operational meetings in a, in a way that's productive. So I hear they don't happen at all. I hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. I hear... We have meetings that last two hours. It wastes my time and they're stupid. I That would kill me as an individual to en- like endure a two-hour meeting every week where nothing happens. Every week? Oh, God. Oh, my God, yes. Oh, my <laughs> so, gosh. So have a meeting with an agenda. Only have the people there that are important. And if it's an informational meeting, call it that. Say we're getting together to inform each other about the progress on the projects we've outlined. Yeah. 
and have it be short and have it be presentation and be done with it. Facilitate your meetings so they're productive, so people feel like they're making progress and action is being taken. Mm-hmm. If you need to have a one-on-one meeting with one of your employees, please don't do it at an operational meeting. Mm-hmm. Shameful and embarrassing and non-productive for the other six to 12 people that are in the room. Mm-hmm. Again, professionalizing our systems to support the growth of our business. Yep. Does that make so two? Those are two hints. Like brass tacks, get it done kind yep. of stuff. And next, here's the third one for free. <laughs> when you are spending time with your family, spend time with your family. Yeah. And that might mean that everybody that enters the room for dinner sets their cell phones in a basket and leaves work shit at the door. Yeah. And you will have a much happier rest of your family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really, my heart goes out to family owned businesses. I, I struggle to separate my personal life and work life. And I mean, my husband calls me out on it all the time. He's like, we got to start putting some boundaries into place. And I appreciate him, you know, approaching the conversation, but if you're working with your family or like, you know, like couples who own businesses, even just the two of them, like that has to be really tough. And you have to be really intentional about we are done talking about work now. Now we're just human beings. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. My families that can do that tend to own businesses longer. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah. But that's a, that's a, it takes a special type of person to be able to effectively compartmentalize in a scalable and sustainable way. Mm-hmm. It yeah. does. And it's usually a system-wide issue, right? It's not, so when I have siblings that own together, um, typically what they say is one of two things. We only spend time together at work because we get sick of each other or we spend a lot of time together. We have dinners every Sunday night. We go on vacations together. And we can do that because we do not talk about work together outside of work. Mm. Yeah. Well, good for them for saying those boundaries. Yeah. yeah. And it Absolutely. is very much so. so. Um, okay. So we're talking about all the different family dynamics. Now we talked about this a little bit, but I just wanted to bring it back up in case there's anything else you want to drop in there. Um, when we're talking about intergenerational transitions um, or the sale of the business, which again, you you brought up, is there anything else you want to touch on in terms of how to navigate or mitigate issues when passing along to generations? We talked about the educational programs, et cetera, but anything else you want to toss out there? I really um, have this podcast out there with Tom Deans that we did at EPI and we debated selling the business to the next generation or gifting the business to the next generation. Tom Deans is all about you. You sell it, you make them buy it, you make them buy it. But he's from Canada. (laughs) In the United States, because of our tax laws, all the advice of your professional team when you own a business is gift it. Usually when you die, because okay. you save a bunch of money in taxes. Because in the United States, 
I think in most countries, quite frankly, we have this unwanted partner in our businesses called Uncle Sam or the IRS, <laughs> right? We didn't ask them to be partners with us, but we share our earnings with them. Yeah. And so most business owners want to legally decrease the amount of money that the IRS gets from our work. Yeah. That is the American way. Mm-hmm. So we really debated why Tom says the next generation buys. Now, what we talk about is how does the next generation take ownership and leadership of a business when it's a multi-generational business? So Tom was saying they'll, they'll never be theirs if they don't buy it. But we walk through that. We walk through, should it be both? Should it be instead of an or an and? Should the next generation buy some of it at least? Okay. Because when you buy something, you're more likely to change it to grow it, to put your spin on it, right? Think about when you buy a house. Mm -hmm. It may have really good bones. It might have stuff you can live with for two or three years. But while you live there, you're going to make it yours. You're going to take wallpaper down. You're going to change the carpeting. You may do an addition. And that's because you own it. You paid for it. Mm -hmm. And it's yours. But when you're inheriting something from somebody, you have, most family members have this big need to pay homage or to respect mm. what the previous generation did and they're afraid to change it. And often I hear, well, what would grandpa do? Or what would mom mm. do? You know, like every time they make a decision and I have to teach them, it's not the same business. Yeah, and what it's totally would different times. Anymore. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to destroy it. Sure. But the system looks different. If you're in a fourth generation ownership and grandpa started this and he was a sole owner and now I've got eight owners, yeah. I, I literally say to them, your grandfather didn't want to work with other people. That's why he started his own business. So he wouldn't be at this table. <laughs> right? Good point. So I think there's some, I think it's an and, not an or. It's yeah. an and that the next generation should should think of it as a purchase or act like they purchase or actually purchase some of it. Right. Um, so I, I think there's that conversation you have to have and the next generation has to talk about what imprint will they make on this business during the time that they are the um, caretakers of this asset. Mm-hmm. that may go into the future or the stewards of the wealth that is generated from a sale. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense because like the psychological principle of ownership versus receiving a gift. And I would imagine there's probably some cases too, where um, there's entitlement in terms of, Oh, well, this is just naturally mine. And you don't typically take care of things in the same way as if you earned it or you purchased it. Etc. So that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and how and earning is a big deal in family businesses. What is earning? Is yeah. earning, especially in farms, which I work a lot in. Yeah, is earning earning the business because you've worked on it since you were fifteen and you really didn't make any money. But if they paid someone to do what you did, it would be a fifty five thousand plus salary every year, and you didn't get paid. So mm-hmm. did you earn some ownership by that? Mm. And generations see that totally different. 
Yeah, I bet. Totally different. Yeah, I mean, work standards and ethics have changed dramatically generation to generation. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Um, Amy, this is so fascinating. I've, I've been taking a lot of notes over here, but I'm just curious, what what do you love most? What are you so fascinated about in this line of work? I love empowering people. And when I work with family businesses, I work with really smart, capable human beings. I just bring a new chapter that they're learning. I love teaching and I love watching them take the knowledge that I'm sharing with them, Mm -hmm. own it and use it. It's the most exciting part of my work. Yeah. Well, and and to see the transformations, I imagine. Mm -hmm. And especially, sorry, go ahead. It's super cool. Yeah. Transformation. Over generations. I mean, that's, it's also Great job security. <laughs> and, and, you know, and when people say, well, are you there all the time? I'm not. I mean, I get hired to do, let's say they they say, Amy, I want you to build us a board. I'm there like 18 months. And and that's not every day, by the way. That's like one day a month or maybe but two But you days. get the opportunity to build really great relationships. I do. And I yeah. learn so much from these people. And I get to see all these different industries. I'm, I mean, I learn about nutritional powders. I learn about cattle. <laughs> ranching. I learn about plastic injection molding. I learn about trucking. I learn it's fun. It's inspiring. It keeps my brain sparking. And I love the people. Yeah. Yeah. It always comes down to the people. It does. It really yeah. does. Yeah. Um, Amy, is there anything you're working on right now that you want to take a moment and tell us about? Uh, I am working on studying the effects of placing your ownership of your business inside of a generation skipping or a legacy trust. And it's fascinating dynamics of how that changes, how the business runs and interfaces with its leaders, and then how you prepare your next generation for ownership, delayed gratification, how you make decisions. It's, it's kind of geeky. It comes back from my legal background, but I love it. (laughs) super complicated and I'm having a lot of fun with it yeah 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 oh I love it all right awesome Kylie thank you so much for having me on your show I really appreciate it and um you're such a great host and a knowledgeable person and thank you very much thank you thank you and thank you for sharing your words of wisdom Amy can I ask you one final question and then we'll let you get going All right. What is your greatest insight or discovery about life and entrepreneurship? You must be a person who believes in themselves enough. You can get out of bed every day and know that you're capable of earning a living on your own. Yep. And that excites you. It doesn't scare you. It excites you. I love it. Amy, for everybody listening and wants to learn more about you, where is what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, the best way is by email. And my email is W-I-R-T-Z, words, my last name, at V-T-H-E-F-B-C-G.com. Okay. And you can find out more about me at the... Uh, the Family Business Consulting Group webpage, which is 
T-H-E-F-B-C-G.com. Um, and there's articles I've written, webinars I've done, and you can contact me through there too. Kylie, thanks again. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Amy. Thanks for being on the show. To continue learning how to better build your business and make your vision a reality, subscribe to the Welcome to Eloma email list at welcometoeloma.com.